My guest this week is Chris or Christopher Littlefield. Chris's business is called Beyond Thank You. And he's based in the US, but has worked in multiple countries, delivered projects in many more. Two of the countries that come to mind are Chile and Lebanon. And that's something we have in common, that we've both delivered projects in the Middle East, and we really love that part of the world. Chris's business is a business of one, like many of us these days, but he has a team of people behind him, associates and contractors that do uh, various skills like video editing to make his business possible. Chris has been featured in publications like Forbes, Harvard Business Review, or HBR. And if you're thinking, how did he do that? Well, that's one of the questions I ask him today. He's also uh, a part of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches. This is something which has been the subject of a previous episode. I'd Marshall Goldsmith, arguably one of the best-known coaches in the world. And he talked about in that interview several years ago what the idea is behind 100 Coaches. And I asked Chris how he gets his leads, what his typical client engagement looks like, and all that good stuff. So if you're looking for a cracking episode today, someone to emulate, someone to learn from, then this is a great episode for you. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Chris, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Mark. Where are you right now? I am based in Silver Spring, Maryland, about uh, 20, 30 minutes north of Washington, D.C. Right. So on your LinkedIn profile, you describe yourself as an international speaker on employee appreciation, remote teams. You also are a contributor to the Harvard Business Review, HBR. And yep. Forbes, which we'll talk about that because that's really intriguing. And you're the founder of Beyond Thank You. Let's talk about you first of all. How did you get into this expert business where you, you know, speak on topics which are close to your heart? I have been in some form of leadership development, whether it was youth leadership development, whether it was training, whether it was facilitation, since I was in high school. You know, and however many 25, I don't even know how many years that is. I can't do the math on the spot. But years later, I've always been in one form or another of bringing people together, helping people communicate better, creating experiences, whether it was, whether it was team building programs with Outward Bound or Project Adventure to, mm-hmm. you know, being a camp counselor to then working as a trainer for anti-bias and harassment workshops in schools to facilitating conflict resolution programs in five or six different countries to running my business uh, for the last 15 years. Right. So um, the business is called Beyond Thank You. Um, It's described as an international consulting training coaching company specializing in employee appreciation, recognition, workplace culture. You've worked for some pretty big names uh, or clients of yours, uh, brands I would recognize, uh, Novartis, Kraft Foods, L.L. Beans, you know, in the uh, hospitality industry. Um, and then some intriguing ones like uh, the Lebanese Postal Service. Now, that leads me to my next question, which is um, you've done work in places like Lebanon, Chile and the U.S. Uh, talk to me about that. So I, my wife and I met in a bar in Boston back in maybe 2006. And at the time I was working internally at a company doing anti-bias and harassment workshops for the Center for the Prevention of Hate Violence. And when I met my wife, 
we immediately hit it off and we started talking about, you know, what are your dreams? What are your dreams? What do you want to do? And her dream was to work for the United Nations. And mine was to work in doing exactly what I'm doing now in international training development, being able to travel around the world, to be able to get groups to communicate. That was my passion. And maybe, you know, we met and fell madly in love really quick. We were engaged three months later. She wasn't pregnant. Uh, we just have a seven-year-old now. Um, and her dream was to work for the UN. And she got her dream job back in 2010. And we moved out to Beirut, Lebanon. And we lived there for four years. And then we moved to Santiago, Chile. And so when I moved out of the country, and I'm a guy from a small town in Maine. And although I had traveled a lot, been to, I don't even know at this point in time, I think 45 different countries. And so when I was based in Lebanon, I said, okay, what am I going to be able to do work-wise here? You know, how am I going to take this? And I just started my, my company. I just developed my first trainings. It was just starting to sell them in the US when she got this job. But hey, her dream was to do this. So how do I do this there? And so I got there, I landed on the ground. I pitched my program to a couple companies. A couple said, yes. Then I started getting, you know, here's this white American guy in the Middle East. Hey, can you run this training? Can you do this? Can you do a team building program? And I started just working all over the Middle East. And while I was there, I also started doing research. I started doing research on employee engagement in the Middle East. I, I partnered with a professor at the American University of Beirut, which is the coined the Harvard of the Middle East. That's right. And so we did work there. And so with that work, I ended up doing research with the Lebanese Postal Service and you know about engagement in the Postal Service in the Middle East. And then out of that, that ended up being a lot of projects with different companies around there. And then also I worked with, you know, Omani oil companies and worked in Saudi and, and worked in Jordan and a lot of stuff like that. I did work in Saudi as well. A couple of times I, um, I kind of find myself like you drawn to that part of the world. I've done work in Kuwait, Qatar, et cetera. What's it like? Let's go back in time. What was it like being someone, like you said, a white guy in this place, American, uh, no clients. You have this is before the pandemic, of course, right? Um, you you land practically on this on this new planet, so to speak, and you've got to establish yourself. How did you go about doing that um, practically to well, get new clients? Well, I think it's the same way everywhere. It's like anybody who's in this business, you know, whether you're having your own business, no one's going to come to you. And so you got to go out there and you got to be seen. And how do I contribute? How do I add value? How do I, how do I do something that makes a difference for other people? So that was finding ways to reach out to companies and say, Hey, I'm here in town. Here's what I do. Can I offer a free program to, to a group of your clients? Can I come and do a free lunch and learn for you? And I think anybody who's starting out in this world, it's how do I contribute? How do I be of service to somebody else? And then once I'm of service, then people get to experience you. And, and I'm sure as hundreds of other people on this podcast have shared, your best sales pitch is people getting to experience you and get to experience that feeling of being there and being really good at what you do. And also just being in there and, and being a kind of person that people want to interact with. And so I went there, went on the ground and I, and I reached out to a couple different training companies. I offered a free program at the U S embassy and I got a contract, I think within like 10 days of being there, I went to the local language school because, you know, I was looking at, at programs where they offered English based programs. I went there, they brought me in for something. And then I just slowly expanded it out while I was there. And then people there moved to other places, brought me to those other countries as well in the region. And then also just kept on reaching out to people and say, Hey, I'm in the area here. It's cheaper to bring me in because I'm based here than to bring somebody else uh, from out of there. 
Right. And I think this is very valuable for people listening because post-pandemic, many trainers, consultants I've spoken to in my network have moved countries. Mm -hmm. I think COVID's changed how people see themselves and where they see themselves. And we can do so much of what we do as consultants, trainers, coaches overseas. Uh, I've moved to Barcelona in the last six months. You've worked in Chile, uh, the Lebanon, et cetera. So many people are thinking, um, and I've had this all the time. People say, I'll, I'll come to a country, but I'll throw up a webpage and I'll expect stuff to, co- stuff to come to me. But it, the way you say it, it sounds like you've got to be really proactive about getting out there, making connections, calling on people physically, introducing yourself through networks at the local embassy, um, partnering with third level institutions, et cetera. Well, I think there's this, this idea out there that there's some point where you get to a certain point and just your name recognition is going to bring people in. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet and connect with a lot of people who've been in this field for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they never stop presenting. They never stop being seen. You know, I know folks that have a couple of New York Times bestselling books. Well, when they launch that book to be able to hit that, that New York Times bestselling, you know, level, they're on 180 to 200 podcasts. Mm. They're having 20 or 30 articles written. They're out there grinding every single day to be able to do that. It's not because it was just a great book. It doesn't matter how much name recognition. I mean, if you're uh, James Clear and you have a newsletter of 2 million people, yes, you're going to be able to hit those sales with that newsletter, but that's because he wrote every single day, every single week, he sent out that newsletter. He grew that newsletter. He continued to add value. So people want to hear from him. And when that book comes out, people are ready to buy. But there's this idea that you're not, you can just, you know, do one thing. You're going to do a TED talk and that's going to be it. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, I've learned that to, to my cost where I've put together something and I think it's pretty, it, it's uh, priced, it's packaged. Uh, it comes rolling in. No, it doesn't. You've got to get out there and grind. Yeah. Okay. So, that and that doesn't ever go away. And I no. think that's the thing is like, Hey, when people, I don't know about you, but it's like, people see you on stage, like, I want to do what you do. I'm like, no, you don't. You want to do that part. You just saw, you don't want to do the 90% of the time, which is creating content, which is sharing, which is reaching, which is following up, which is watching your income go up and down with the market and have a pandemic hit and have your whole industry disappear <laughs> and then figure out how to pivot. But I don't know about you. If I'm like, if I got through a pandemic as a speaker, as a trainer, as a workshop facilitator and have it be one of my best years ever, then you know what? I can get through anything. So your brand is beyond thank you. Mm-hmm. What kind of needs do companies have so they come calling to you? Well, it's interesting. And in all honesty, I'm going through kind of a rebranding right now because one a big part of my background is international conflict resolution. So I got into the work I'm doing as recognition as conflict prevention. But I got into that because I was facilitating dialogues. I was facilitating Israeli-Palestinian dialogues, um, Armenian-Azerbaijani dialogues, Northern Ireland, like youth programs, adult programs. But the kind of thing where you bring people who aren't talking with one another into a room together and you're creating that kind of opportunity for them to be able to talk. And what I learned in those interactions, and then also when I had a huge conflict with two of my coworkers, that it's when people feel valued they relate to the other's feedback, the other's comments, the other's contributions as a contribution. But when we don't, it's criticism or an attack. 
Mm-hmm. And so what people really reach out to me for most of the time is engagement surveys come back and people don't feel recognized or they don't feel valued at work. And they want to do something about that. Now, when they bring me in, it's to train people in how do we recognize people? How do we nurture a culture of appreciation? But the real work that I'm doing is what I'm helping them do is remove petty conflict and drama by helping leaders understand what they need to be doing every single day to build the kind of relationships where people feel valued. And that's what I'm really working on. The access to that for me is through a conversation about a relationship to giving and receiving recognition. How do you get that message out there that these are the programs you offer? Are are there particular channels which are successful? I mean, I write write for HBR. I write Mm. for I have a YouTube channel. I'm on a lot of podcasts. I, mm-hmm. I create content. I have a weekly newsletter that goes out. Mm-hmm. And so for me, and then the biggest one is speaking. So if I look at the, the majority of companies that I work with, they either come to me through an article that I wrote in HBR, uh, or they saw me at a conference or something on Forbes. Every once in a while that happens. So that's how people find me or someone goes in or they go onto LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I don't go on any other social platform. I mean, I post videos on YouTube, but I'm really on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll post things, you know, two or three times a week and somebody will see that and they'll reach out to me or they're, you know, searching for a speaker on employee appreciation and I come up. And so that's how they find me. And then they go and they read one of my articles and then they go and see one of my videos. And then that's how people often connect with me is because they see that. And they also see that I'm not focused on rewards and awards, but about what are those things that don't cost anything that I can do, those common sense things that we know we should do, but we avoid doing them because they make us uncomfortable. Right. Um, You, over the years, have connected with people. You're part of Mark. Goldsmith's 100 Coaches. Marshall was on the show about three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has that done for your brand, for your business? Having that level of, um, let's say, uh, recognition, being part of Marshall's 100 Coaches? Um, I think that what that's done for me is less that people reach out and see me that I'm in that and more so the community that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. You know, Being a part of that group um, and being connected to Marshall and the extraordinary other people that are in that group means that I'm in conversation with those folks. I'm conversations with people. And I think for anybody who's in, you know, the training and development field or the speaking field, being able to see people who've been very successful in that field, how they've structured their business, how they work, how they connect, how they network, uh, their, their thought process behind how they're reaching out to people, how they're pricing themselves. I think that has been the biggest gift for me. And to be in that community with some extraordinary human beings that are up to big things and playing big games. And so I think being in that community to see how Marshall, you know, how he presents himself, how he works to be in conversation, I think is the thing that's made the biggest difference. It's not necessarily, hey, you're in this. uh, So all of a sudden people see you there. It's more so you're in this and what you get out of being in that community. And also even more importantly, what you contribute to that community. How do you support other people there when there's a book launch or something? So do you guys meet up as, as coaches is, or is it purely online? Um, I, I meet up with a lot of people. There's usually one meetup a year. Uh, mm. We all get together. And then there are small groups of people that get together on a, you know, for kind of these eight session weeks where, you know, we're in small groups, small co- cohorts of groups that people get together in. How many people in your business right now? Uh, I'm, I, it's me. 
It's me and a bunch of contractors. So I have people that support me when it comes to my newsletter and editing videos. And and I've always very intentionally kept my business lean. It's always been my goal. And as demand gets bigger, then I bring people in to support me. But one thing that's really important to me is that I've structured my business to be a parent. And what I mean by that is that I don't want to wake up and be a cliche uh, and have a, you know, when you're coming home, dad, I don't know when, you know, yeah. you know, that little boy blue story where all of a sudden I wake up and I wasn't there for my daughter's life. And so I do, I speak, I don't know, hundred something times a year at conferences, events, or virtual programs. But one thing that's really important to me is to be able to be there and see my daughter each day as much as possible. And one of the big reasons why I'm back in the US now is that my wife and I noticed a pattern. We noticed that we had all these people helping us to be able to live our life when we were down in Chile and we were both traveling. And I was working as a speaker from Santiago, Chile, which is a 10-hour flight to the US, but 80% of my clients were here. And so we realized that we were just ships passing in the night with people supporting us to care for our daughter. And realized during the pandemic, like a lot of other people did, is what's really important. And I am not going to be living what I say I'm up to in the world if I'm not there to be able to see her and to be in her life. And I did an exercise a a couple weeks ago where I was thinking about, hey, how do I want to structure my business? And I love what I do. And if I could, every single day of the week, I would be writing content on it. I would be thinking about it, talking about it, because everything I do is about helping people connect in meaningful ways, right? Is helping people connect to themselves and with others and building those kind of environments where people feel valued. I love that I get to do that. But if I'm not doing that, as soon as I walk out of my office with my daughter and my wife, I'm not living what I say I'm up to. And so I did an exercise and I thought, okay, my daughter's in second grade now. How many more years is she going to be at home? And how do I need to structure my business over the next couple of years so that I get to be there for as many of those important moments as possible and still get to live the life that I want to live? Because it's really important both to my wife and I that when we structure our life, she better be successful in what she's doing. And I better be up to something in my world. And then we also better be maximizing our time with our daughter to be present for her. So she gets to live the life that she wants to as well. And we get to have that time as a family. So thinking about, hey, what are my metrics for success to make sure that I'm focused on taking care of my business and having that financial security that I want that's important that allows me to be present with my wife and daughter, but also maximizing time with her? Am I having one unique experience with her every single day? Am I making sure that my wife does that? Can I look and say, hey, I laughed with my daughter today. We had one meaningful moment today, even if it was for 10 minutes. We did one thing to smile together. I asked her one question when she's coming home from school, but I want to be able to be here to be able to do that and to also pursue what's important to me in life. What you said strikes a chord. I've heard... um... People say many times, I love what you do. And I say, well, what part do you like? Well, it's being on stage. It's having a podcast. It's having a book. It's having this and that. But what you've said must resonate as well, which is that it's there to create a life, not the other way around. And it's tempting to get stuck into having 100 clients and 300 engagements and being on this and being on this. But why? What is the thing that drives you? If you're working for yourself, Maybe the goal is not, as you're listening to this, not to build a company with multiple employees. Chris, it sounds like you've uh, had an epiphany. It's actually not to do that. It's for you. It's to have a business that supports your life. 
and your values. Well, in in to have that financial success as well, but I don't need to compromise what's important to me. And you know, it's it's one of those elements. It's like we hear the same story over and over again, but when are we going to listen to it? We hear of the businessman who made $200 million and then woke up and realized that the only thing that made them happy was their kids and they didn't spend any time with them. I'm doing this for you, but I'm not spending time with you. And you know, I lost, yeah. I lost my father at, at 20 years old, very suddenly to a brain aneurysm. And that for me was a reminder that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so I always want to be living my life. And my wife and I live this every single day is that I want to live my life that if I died tomorrow... I am 100% satisfied with the life that I lived. And I always want to live that way so that if it does happen, if I don't do go tomorrow, and I'm not worried about dying every single day, but I want to know that if I died tomorrow, I live the life I want to live. I went to the places I want to live. I ate the things I wanted. I was the person that I wanted to be in the world. And if I do that, if I go tomorrow, I have zero regrets. And right now, that's where I am. Are there things I want to do? Of course, I want to be there for my daughter growing up. I want to grow old with my wife. I want to write a New York Times bestselling book that people have on their desk as a reminder of the things that are really important in life and those little messages we send to people every single day. But that's who I want to be. And if I'm not doing that, then I need to ask myself some serious questions. So you have contractors. What was it like finding those people, onboarding them, and entrusting them with key aspects of your business? Well, it's building relationships with people. It's, this, it's the same. It's like, you know, I what I do in my work is helping leaders understand what are those little interactions that we need to do? How do I check in with somebody? How do I connect with somebody? You know, I just onboarded a, a video editor um, because I realized that, you know what, I want to focus over the next couple of years on growing my YouTube channel. Right. I, that's something that for my business is I can see three years down the road. That is a platform that I really want to be on, both as a speaker, as a content creator, as a product creator, as tools and resources, which a big part of my work, that that's where I want to be. And so I found somebody and it was a, it was a gentleman that was in Egypt and I, he was new. He was charging $5 an hour, which I'm going to paying him more to that to be able to do it. And I knew that he was going to have to be trained. But I immediately reached out and I was in Egypt. And I was like, hey, Habibi, how are you doing? Because I lived out there. I love the Middle East. Me too. My daughter's <laughs> name is Alia. You know, it's ah. like, it was, I feel connected to that mm. world. And I never felt so welcome in any other part of the world than I did in the Middle East. Right. And there's such a misconception about it. So I connected with him. I talked about him. I set him up for success. I said, here's what I'm looking for. And for the first three videos, we are going to go back and forth and it may be frustrating, but we're going to do this. And you know what? We're three videos in. He's getting really good at what he's doing. I'm making sure that, and I know Egypt isn't going through some really rough times financially now. And I also know that I can make a difference for him and his family by continuing to give him work. And I'm setting up saying, I want to work with you for a long time. I'm planning to do 50 videos this year. And I want you to be the person to do it. Here's the structure. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's the kind of way, because there's differences in in culture when it comes to... uh you know, every time I asked him to put in photos, it's always, always men as leaders. And I was like, that's not going to work for my clientele. So I want it to be 50-50 here. Okay. So he comes back and does it. And I recognize him just as much for the changes he makes as for the times when it's saying, hey, this didn't work. Okay, great. This is not what I want here. But then also making sure he has everything he needs to be successful doing what he's doing and to know that he's going to have work with me as long as I have the ability to be able to do that hmm. or an interest to do that. 
And it's quite a common business model these days. We don't have to have offices anymore. We could have some kind of home office, but we can run uh, a business with contractors, not as full-time employees. Uh, I couldn't do what I do without Ignacy, Christina, t- yep. uh, Sam, Turul, Joe, um, James. Yep. And they all do little pieces of the thing, you know, but yep. when you put it together, that's the brand. And I don't think people feel the pressure anymore to, to have to have four or five employees. People aren't impressed by that. You could run a seriously successful business with contractors, right? Yeah. Well, and, and in my work too, one of my goals is to always be a lean business. Mm-hmm. Lean in the sense is there's a lot of fluctuation. I don't need to have 50 staff. What I need is a couple key people to support me where I am right now. And when I get to that point where I need more people, I will bring those people on. And do I have those people in a list of the folks that I want to be working with? 100%. But I also know that I want to make sure that when it's time to do that, I have those people, but they're doing other things in their life. And my job right now is to help them be successful. And that's one thing that I am with my with my network and the people that I care about is I want to make sure that they're successful. I had a, I had a woman who reached out to intern with me uh, during the pandemic. And I'm, I'm like, hey, my business looks bigger than it is, but here's who I am, right? And she's like, I want to come in. And she helped me out through the pandemic with survey entry and all this stuff. And then now she's applying for jobs. I'm like, I have a certain number of hours I can give you each week. If you're interested, other people you want to work with, and later on, maybe I'll hire you, but I want you to go out and get experience. You don't only have experience working in this virtual world because as a 20-something person, you need to have that experience because that's going to help you become the person you want to be later on. Now, you, you, I will wrap up in a moment, Chris. Uh, you mentioned something which just kind of pinged my ears, uh, survey entry, right? And uh, mm-hmm. something early in the conversation you mentioned as well intrigued me, which is the the idea of research Mm-hmm. Um, and more and more people have said to me, when you can produce primary research, something that you've commissioned, something that you've yeah. um, uh, analyzed, and you can produce this, people sit up and take notice. They they want to talk to you about the research, your findings, and it also adds to your credibility. Talk to me about wh- what how you've done that and what you've done and, and where that's uh, led to you. You know, when I when I did my... I originally wrote, I was in between two jobs and the curriculum that I still use today, I wrote in a hammock in one hour on the edge of the Charles River in Boston. It was in between two jobs. It was 2007 going into 2008. I wrote my curriculum right after I had a huge falling out with a coworker and we transformed it through a 15 minute recognition activity. I had one month off before starting a job in a marketing firm, which later disappeared because it hit 2008 and the economy crashed and I got cut before I even got started. I wrote that curriculum and then I went and I delivered to one company. And I just said, hey, let me just do a demo of this. What do you think of this? I wrote it. The feedback I got from somebody is, I think it's really great, but I'd love to have some research to back this up. And so I said, great, let me go do some research. So I took a Survey Monkey survey. I sent it out to 150, 200 people about people's relationship to recognition. And some of the data I got from there was just absolutely fascinating. And then I went onto the subway in Boston because I was working as I was starting my business. Because for anybody who's starting this, you know, you don't let whether you, if you start with a client base, that's great. But if not, there's a long time before you're going to be financially independent, maybe three years, people estimate most of the time. So I took my commute on the subway every single day. And I interviewed one person. I did over 400 interviews on the subway. As in random strangers? Random strangers. Wow. It was one of the (laughs) hardest things I've ever done because it was uncomfortable every single time to start that conversation. But what I heard in those conversations, what I learned from doing that daily practice of interviewing somebody was mind-blowing. 
And what I took away from that is one of the reasons why I have the data, right? I have the ethnography is the, you know, interviewing people on the street. I I can't even remember the definition of ethnography, but yeah, it's in person. uh, I just blanked on the term here. My primary research. Yeah. It's like primary research to face. But I did those interviews and Mm. I continue to do on the plane when I'm sitting next to people. And one, I had fascinating stories and the stories that came up that I still use those in my workshops. Those things introduced me to concepts and ideas that nobody had shared before. And it's the basis of what makes my program so good because I realized that, hey, yes, recognition is important, but why is it we don't do it? And I uncovered this whole unconscious relationship to recognition that nobody had talked about before that gets in ways that gets in the way of that person. I know I should recognize my spouse. I know I should recognize my employee. I know I should speak up, but why don't I do it? And it was during that research that I uncovered it. And Mark, to build on why everybody's saying that that research is so important, look at Gallup, look at Qualtrics, look at every single one of these platforms. It's because they have the data that they're cited everywhere. And because they're cited everywhere, everybody goes to them when we're looking for research. You go to Gartner, you go to Gallup, you go to Towers, Wasser's, Perlin. They're, they're creating the data points that everybody's referencing. And so it also makes them a go-to source for the expertise that comes with addressing the issues that they're identifying. Right. That makes sense. So if you're the person from the single source of truth, if you will, for your research, then it stands to reason people will look to you as an expert. It also, um, I guess, forms the basis for content, uh, something which, you know, LinkedIn would quite like, original research. Uh, is there a book in the works, Chris? Um, so I wrote a book during the pandemic. I wrote a book of, of, and this was my my pivot because everybody was, you know, going remotely. So I wrote the book, 75 Team Activities Remote Teams uh, during the pandemic. Sorry, and one more that, time. What's it called? So it's called 75 Team Building 75 team building activities for remote teams. You can find it on Amazon. Oh yeah. I've heard of that. Um, yeah. And that was a, a pivot during the pandemic mm. away from recognition, but how do we build and maintain relationships in this remote world? And that was a book that I pulled together in about 60 days or less and just got up online and it did very well. Uh, it continues to do very well. And that's what, you know, a lot of companies brought me into for my hybrid leadership playbook program. That's a book I've written. And then in the next two years, I'm working on writing the book that I wanted to write beforehand, which is around my research on recognition in the workplace. It's either going to be called Beyond Thank You or Valued. Um, and that's about what are those things that we need to be doing every day in the workplace to build and maintain those relationships. What was the first title again? Un- un- thank it's you? either going to be Beyond Thank You. Beyond so thank I you. actually yeah. picked my book title. And then when the domain came up, I actually just choose to change my company to Beyond Thank You. Gotcha. Um, so I'm not sure what it's going to be exactly. I'm still working on it. And as my research gets clearer and clearer, and as I start to understand and distill every single year why I do what I do, the book gets clearer and clearer. So in the next year, next two years is when I plan on finally putting that into writing. Chris, where can people find out more about you? You can find me at beyondthankyou.com. You can find me at Chris Littlefield on LinkedIn um, or search me for that. And then you can also find my articles at HBR and Forbes. And also on YouTube, Christopher Littlefield is my channel. Chris, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. It was great being here. Thanks for having me. My sincere thanks to Chris for being my guest today on the show. And you can check out Chris by visiting his website, which is beyondthankyou.com. And of course, Chris posts quite uh, a lot on LinkedIn. You can check out his LinkedIn profile and follow him if you like. 
Um, as I said, Chris has shared many great things today. Uh, loads of tips. If you're thinking of joining the rest of us or developing your business as an, a person running their own single one-person business, but with the help of contractors, then I think we've covered loads today. There is, of course, a fresh episode of the show every single Thursday on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Stitcher or Spotify or Apple or something else. I'd love to know that you found value from Chris and me today, our chat, and I would encourage you, therefore, to tell other people out there in the learning and development coaching training community. Let them know about the show, and you can find all episodes, past, present, and future, over at trainingbusiness.com, or, as I said, on your podcast platform of choice. Fresh episode next Thursday. Until then, keep going. Come back next time. See you next week. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.